Hi, and welcome to Cause Pods. I'm your host, Matthew Passy. Here on the podcast, we have one simple mission to highlight the amazing folks who are using podcasts as a way to raise awareness for good causes, whether it's a nonprofit they work with, a charity they support, a social justice campaign they're championing, a medical condition they're battling, or someone who is just looking to make a positive impact on their local community, their state, the country, or the world. These are podcasters with a positive mission. Along with raising awareness for our guest's favorite cause, we're also going to see if we can raise some money to support their efforts. So make sure you check out the show notes for each episode at causepods.org to learn more about what they're doing and how to help them achieve their goals. Joining us on the podcast today is a gentleman by the name of Brian Dunning. He is part of Skeptoid Media and while we're going to talk about Skeptoid and what they do, they are a STEM-focused 501c3. But also, Brian and I got connected because there was an interesting discussion on one of the Facebook groups about having advertising in your podcast. And if you are a nonprofit, if you are a 501c3, how there are some subtle changes and language discrepancies that you need to think about in order to not be basically – have a run-in with the law and to maintain your nonprofit status. So we're really excited to both learn about Skeptoid and then have that discussion. So Brian, welcome to CausePods. Thank you for having me on, sir. Well, so talk to me a little bit about Skeptoid. It's been around since, looks like 2006, and a STEM-focused 501c3 that encourages public science, literacy, and critical thinking. How did this all get started and how did you get involved? Yeah, so the podcast is older than the company. The podcast was started in 2006. The nonprofit was actually started in 2012. So initially, way back, way, way, way back when, I started doing a podcast just kind of for my own amusement, just as a hobby, thinking it was going to be something I'd do five or 10 episodes of, get it out of my system, and then return to a normal human adult life. But (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but it ended up it ended up just kind of exploding. I mean, now that was granted that was a lot easier to do in 2006 when it was much easier to be a big fish in what was then a very small pond. And uh, I was fortunate to get in then. The show resonated well with a lot of listeners. It was basically the true science or true history behind urban legends. And that can be anything, whether it's a, a popular ghost story, a popular UFO story, paranormal claims. We also go into public science topics like global warming, electric cars, all of this stuff that people are actually thinking about. And we look at what is popularly believed and we compare it to what the science actually shows. Oh, well, there must be plenty of material to work with given all of the, the, the confluence of disinformation that loves to be spread around in the world right now. Oh my gosh, yes. No, there's no <laughs> danger of running out of topics. <laughs> so how did you in particular get involved in all this? So I'm the guy that started doing the podcast back then. and Right, but I mean, like, why, like, what drew you to doing that in the first place? Basically, I just had about a half dozen kind of pet peeves <laughs> that I wanted to rant about. And that was, that was how it started. I mean, it was, the show has refined substantially since my very earliest episodes. And what ended up happening, kind of to my surprise and great pleasure, was that it had traction among teachers. So I started hearing from teachers all the time telling me that they're using their podcasts in the classroom. And I'm going, oh, wow, it's not good enough. I got to do a better job if that's how it's being used. And, you know, through a, it became much more closer to like formal science writing. You know, there's, there's uh, exhaustive references and further reading suggestions on every episode. It's all 
the point of the show is always to find what is the true scientific consensus among the actual experts in that field. And, you know, we present that. And once teachers started using it and asking, hey, how can we make this even better? And it needed to have things like educational materials provided along with it. That was the point at which we decided to make it a nonprofit. So there's brought in a board of directors and everything who I now work for. There's, I guess, five employees, most of whom are right here in uh, in Bend, Oregon, where, where I live now. And of course, broadened out from doing just the podcast. The podcast is kind of our bread and butter. It's sort of our calling card. That's how most people find out about us. But we also do things like speaker series. Uh, we produce documentary films. We're actually working on our, nearing the end of post-production on our very first full-length feature documentary film, a lot of educational materials, audio video podcasts, lots of stuff, and then some even more exciting stuff coming up toward the end of 2020, which I don't want to get into yet because nothing's uh, nothing's carved in stone, but we're really growing and really reaching not just an educational audience, but a mass market too. And that's very much in line with our mission statement, is we want to produce educational, basically edutainment, stuff that's fun and enjoyable for the general public to enjoy, and that's also useful in a classroom environment. I love that. I think that's fantastic. We could definitely use more entertainment and content that is also educational and truthful, which, you know, there seems to be a, a lack of in the market in, in, in a lot of respects. Absolutely. Like I say, we're not in danger of going out of business anytime soon. I mean, so many people <laughs> believe in the importance of what we're doing. It's, you know, it can easily seem like sometimes there's, it's a lone voice in, in the void of just straight up sensationalized nonsense. How difficult was it to take this and turn it into a 501c3? I've spoken to a bunch of folks who their podcast was an offset of an already existing 501c3. I've spoken to some others who they don't have one yet, but they probably want to start one. It sounds like it's an onerous and complicated process, but uh, you know, what's it really like to, to set up a, a charity? So, I mean, first of all, you have to be a, a, you know, a corporation, which luckily it was because the show had been taking donations and making payroll as a for-profit company for a few years before it became a nonprofit. And then it just becomes a matter of uh, conversion to nonprofit status. And that was really difficult, but I made it more difficult than it should have been by using a, a popular service that advertises a lot for, hey, we'll take care of your business filings for you. And they did a terrible job and did a lot of things wrong. And it took a long, long time and was difficult to do. If you just sit down and do a conversion yourself, I mean, it's, it's still likely to take the better part of a year for everything to happen. I made it more difficult than it should have been. What are some of the other pitfalls that people can watch out for? You know, the majority of people, in my impression, I'm not sure if this is supported by data, but the majority of people trying to become a nonprofit, so it seems, don't really qualify. They're not really doing something that fulfills the idea of what a nonprofit is for. You know, they're not serving the public good. Like I remember, for example, one of the companies that was sort of in the same batch of, of companies that we were when we were trying to get approved was, well, we make, we sell shampoo or a shampoo company. Well, why should that be a nonprofit? That's a commercial business. It's, oh, well, it's, it's organic shampoo. So it's good for the world. Uh, no, that's not how it works. That's not, that's not the bar. It's a, <laughs> it's a little higher. <laughs> So yeah, I, I mean, just make sure that your your business should not be a money making venture. This is you're serving the public good, 
And it, I think that's where I think a, a lot of people are not necessarily doing. I mean, I draw a salary, yes, but that salary is capped by the board of directors and it's by no means a get rich quick salary. You know, we've got a lot of people that need to be paid and we need to make sure we're able to hire good people. So if it's something that you're at all looking to make money from or to profit from, it's just it's just not going to work. Right. And most of the nonprofits that I've engaged with and, and work for, you know, one of the big factors of it is obviously that most of the profit goes back into the charity or is used for dispersal of services. It's not a, it's not profit sharing at the end of the day. No, that's true. I mean, the money that comes in, you know, it's usually goes into a particular bucket that's for a particular project and it must be used for that project. And if you end up finishing that project successfully and there's still money in that bucket, well, then you have to have already assured your donors how that's going to be used. And you need to make sure that you use it that way. And it never yeah, yeah, it never goes into your beer and pizza fund. Right. And like you said, it's not that you can't draw a salary from a nonprofit, but you can't have a nonprofit that's spending 150000 a year on projects and you're taking home $450,000 a year salary. That's going to you know, be a pretty big red flag. I think it's super important that the people who are in charge of deciding how the money gets spent are, are not the same ones who are the board of directors. If you have both the control of every, the ultimate control of everything by being on the board of directors and you're in charge of spending money, then you know, there's potential for conflicts of interest, obviously. And I think the best nonprofits are set up so that there's clear separation in that. So speaking of raising funds and earning revenue, again, we got connected because there was a discussion on Facebook about advertising and specifically how nonprofits can use advertising in a podcast. And of course, I famously think of NPR podcasts when they include a lot of ads in them, but they tend to say underwritten by or presented by, or it's rarely they're sponsored by. And so you had a really interesting take on on how that language really makes a difference. So what are some of the things that as a nonprofit looking to have ad supported revenue of a podcast they need to keep in mind? Yeah. I mean, you're allowed to do that, obviously, by following the IRS rules, you're allowed to include sponsored messages on your show. And really what a sponsored message includes is information about that sponsor, you know, maybe their website, their what their name of their company, and a, a few lines about what they do. What you're not allowed to do is, and, and I'll explain in a minute what I mean by not allowed, but what you're not supposed to be doing is things that actually benefit that company. That's the spirit of the law. You're not supposed to be saying that they're the best for example, because that would be a comparison and comparisons are forbidden. You're not supposed to have a special offer that only people who listen to your podcast can qualify for oh, because that's providing a material benefit to that company by giving their message. So it's basically other podcasters are probably familiar with you know, regular podcast advertising, the mattress companies and the food delivery services and all of this, all of this stuff. And they all want you to do things like say, Hey, I got my glasses at this online glasses company, and I think they're the best. You're now giving a personal experience, a personal testimonial. That's also not allowed. So what we have done 
Okay. Well, let me get back to what I, when I said a minute ago, what I sure. mean by you're not allowed to say. You are allowed to do it. You are. You may legally have advertising that violates all these rules on your show. It's just that you then owe the IRS an enormous chunk of it. And that comes right off the top. It's not like other business expenses. That's anywhere from, I don't know, depending on a number of things, I think it's anywhere from 15 or 20% to about half of the total you have to just give to the IRS. So don't do that. <laughs> follow, follow the rules. And I, I know that I know of other nonprofit podcasters who are violating all these rules, and I've never heard of anyone getting in trouble for it, but that's not a reason to do it. We're super anal about following all the rules, dotting all of our I's and crossing all of our T's. And so we have in the past had advertising and we did go back and pay it, pay the amount that you're supposed to pay. I know that other there are other nonprofits out there not doing that. Well, um, the IRS has a long, long memory. And so if yeah. they catch wind of you doing something wrong, they're probably going to want to go back and check and uh, yeah, make you pay for all that back content too. Yeah. I mean, we actually, one year, the first year we found out about this was a number of years ago, actually. And we kind of had to go back through the previous year and listen again to all the ads and say, oh, that one qualifies. That one qualifies. Uh, no, that one's no good. So that was the point at which we said, oh, we got to stop doing advertising and we need to do sponsored messages. So we do it two ways. We seek out our own sponsors and we run sponsored messages for them that basically we do the creative writing for uh, to make sure it's, it's legal. And we also work with a couple of the smaller advertising brokers who understand our particular situation and they still send us ads and we still say, no, we can't do that. Or yeah, I can say part of this message, but we can't say two thirds of this, this copy that they've provided. And sometimes they're okay with that and we run it and sometimes they're not and we don't. Okay. All right. So that's really good insight to keep in mind and, and good to know that as a nonprofit, there are ways to get ad revenue. Just, you know, stay within bounds and stay within the law to avoid extra taxes and probably some penalties. You know, <laughs> it's interesting because most podcasts put out by nonprofits are just like, you know, part of their part of their service. It's like one it's part of their programming that they provide. And it's not necessarily a revenue source for them. Right. So they don't have to worry about this. But for the minority of ones like us, that it is our major source of, of revenue, you know, it, it's an issue because we do have to find a way to make this work. And since we're not affiliated with uh, NPR, and we can't be because we don't own any public, we don't own any airwaves, we can't, we can't qualify as a public radio station. And so we don't have access to national public media. And national public media, for those who aren't familiar with it, that, that's kind of like the the ad clearinghouse that provides the sponsored messages and whatever advertisement type stuff that all of the NPR podcasts use. And they have to beat sponsors away with a stick. They don't have any problem collecting as many sponsors as they want. And we don't have access to that marketplace. And so we have to go out and do the legwork ourselves. In fact, I think this might have this might have touched on something that that initiated our Facebook conversation is I was suggesting, hey, somebody should become like a national public media slash an ad broker for sponsored messages for nonprofits. It's not a terrible idea. I wonder if that business would have to have nonprofit status to 
stay within bounds or if that could be a, a you know, full commercial business handling this kind of, you know, handling I actually this looked kind of into that a, a little bit after that uh, thread. I actually looked into this a little bit and it, there's a couple of considerations. I mean, first of all, when you work with an ad broker, they usually get paid on commission. Well, in nonprofit fundraising, that's considered unethical. There's nothing illegal about it, but you stay away from that. There's no paying commission on fundraising. And so they shouldn't be paid that way. They can, however, be paid, you know, a monthly retainer. We'll give you 1500 bucks a month if you collect sponsors for us. That's fine. That's a fundraising expense, uh, but it's not performance-based. And if they, if they work it that way, then it could be a, a for-profit business like anyone else. Gotcha. All right. Well, you've given me something to think about, and I'm sure many others. And <laughs> I would love for someone to form that company and let me be your first customer. <laughs> Very good. Well, so now I want to get back a little bit to Skeptoid Media. And in particular, yeah. on this show, we focus on folks who are using the podcast medium to get their message out there. And I think you sort of alluded to a little bit, but just to sort of focus in why a podcast when you first got started? Like, why did you think this medium was such a great way for getting information out there for disseminating your thoughts? Like, why did you choose this platform? I mean, I see the the piano and some of the other audio equipment behind you. And so I, I get oh. a sense that you're a little <laughs> bit of a audiophile and, and media person, but I'm just curious what drew you to podcasting in general. You bring up a super important point. I Just a, a few weeks ago here in town, I was on a panel at a local university called how to start and monetize your podcast. <laughs> and <laughs> the room was packed. A lot of people think that a podcast is a great way to get a message out there. It's the get rich and quick scheme, right? <laughs> it, yeah, it, it's not. It is not. And, and people don't realize that. If you start a podcast now, you know, just being an independent person, you'll be lucky if you get to 100 or maybe even one day 1,000 listeners per week. It's pretty rare for a podcast to exceed those numbers if it's an independent thing, if it doesn't have any kind of a marketing budget, et cetera, et cetera. So people need to understand, first and foremost, a podcast is not a way to get a message to a large number of people. If you want to do that, then you contact the editors at uh, Forbes or any of these other online magazines. Your first article that they publish for you will probably reach more eyeballs than the entire history of a new podcast that you might start as an alternative. So yeah, my first encouragement to people is do not look at a podcast as a way to reach a large number of people unless there is also a substantial marketing machine behind it or if it's part of a large network, et cetera, et cetera. But to answer your question, why did I think that it was back in 2006? Yeah, I mean, um, well be well before you know the trends today, obviously. Yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, this was just going to be a little temporary hobby for me. So it was not something that I was looking at as part of a strategic plan. And the first question I ask people today is, what is your objective in starting a podcast? What are you trying to accomplish? Is this to promote your real estate business, your bagel shop? A podcast is probably not going to accomplish that. Many people, they start a podcast thinking that it's a way to quickly and easily become an internet celebrity and get wealthy. And that's just, you know, there's never been any, any sort of reality to that. And people I find rarely have a clear objective. They just think a podcast is cool or fun. And well, okay, just then understand that that is your objective is just to have fun and do a, do a neat little thing, you know, but be realistic about it. And I mean, that 
sort of plays into my next question that I always ask everyone on the show is what advice would you have for others, in particular those in the cause space, right? The nonprofit space, the not the businesses looking to grow their brand and, and sell more widgets or whatnot, but someone who has is passionate about a cause, thinks they can make a difference in the world, and thinks that the podcast would be the right avenue to get that word out there. You know, what would be your other piece of advice for them as far as how to do it? So I would say that if your nonprofit is already an existing going concern and you have a donor base and you have a marketing list and an email list or whatever it is, then a podcast is a perfectly fine way to bring additional content to those people. If you don't have that, if you think the podcast is going to create that for you, I think that's probably not going to happen. And I would suggest you look into other ways to, to grow your membership base. Again, it comes back to the question of objective. What's the objective of the podcast? If you think it's a way to grow the mailing list for a nonprofit that doesn't already have one, I think you'll be very disappointed in the results. The podcast landscape has just changed too much since those early days, and you're up against very well-funded competition. Really just, just that. I think consider the objective and see if this is the right way to meet that objective. So Brian, before I wrap up here, any other projects that you want to draw attention to, let people know about that you guys are working on? Yeah, if you wouldn't mind, I would love to mention, obviously, the Flagship program is Skeptoid, the podcast at Skeptoid.com. And then the other thing that we're working on right now that's nearing the end is our feature documentary film, Science Friction. And that is- I love that name. Oh, you're going to love the film. It's crazy (laughs) awesome. It's interviews with scientists who have gone on these TV shows, Discovery Channel, Nat Geo, et cetera, et cetera, and then been edited out of context- or otherwise misrepresented to make it sound like they're saying, yes, scientists do think aliens built the pyramids or whatever it is that the show is trying to promote. And we've just collected just the most amazing stories from some of these scientists to whom this has happened. So that's available. You can look at it at sciencefriction.tv. It's still in post-production, so you can't view the completed film there yet, of course, but it's going to go out onto the market and everything. And then uh, finally, if anyone's interested in some reading material, please check out my latest book, Conspiracies Declassified from 2018. That's from Simon & Schuster. You can get it on Amazon or wherever books are sold. It's about uh, 50 popular conspiracy theories and uh, the true history, true facts behind them. I imagine a lot of that content has been covered on podcasts or you have a show specifically about that, because if not, it sounds like that would be an amazing <laughs> podcast in and of itself. That's, well, that's actually why Simon and Schuster contacted me. They said, "Hey, you've written about all these conspiracy theories. How about putting it all into a book?" So, yeah, there, it's of course they wanted all these other ones that I hadn't done shows on and had to do new research for. Gosh darn it! <laughs> uh, I always make you do work hard. Well, it has been an absolute pleasure chatting with Brian Dunning of Skeptoid Media. You can learn more at Skeptoid.org, his show specifically at Skeptoid.com, as well as all the other projects that they are working on there. We'll have links to all this in the show notes. And more importantly, if you support what Brian is doing and support this kind of work, we will also have a link where you can donate to his charity. And Brian, again, thanks so much for sharing about what you do at Skeptoid. And more importantly, navigating the world of nonprofits. I think this will be really great information for folks who are already in the space and those thinking about jumping in. And so we cannot thank you enough for spending some of your time here with us on CausePods. Well, thank you. It's been a lot of fun. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Cause Pods. I want to take a moment and thank the newest team member, producer Caroline Quash, who does an amazing job with scheduling of guests, finding particular guests, making sure that everything gets posted properly and making sure that everything, she just helps to keep the trains moving. I don't know if I can continue to do this project without her. So thank you, Caroline, for everything you do. And again, if you've been inspired by the work of our guests, please check out the show notes in your podcast app or at causepods.org. There you will find links to their work and a special donation link to support the cause. From there, you can also follow and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you enjoy your podcast. Follow us on social media and join the special Facebook group dedicated to you folks who are producing podcasts for a cause. So if you're already producing said podcast or if you're thinking about launching one, join the group. We have provided some resources. We're going to look to provide even more. And hopefully we're going to arrange some special nonprofit pricing of various podcast service vendors to help you with your venture and keep you under budget. And lastly, if you are a cause potter, someone who produces a podcast for a cause and want to join me for an interview, please, please check out the form at causepods.org. Once approved, we'll schedule you for a chat and share the amazing work you do with the cause pod audience. Thanks again and see you next time on Cause Pods. Oh, 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 o